when the believers were commanded to migrate, to make hijrah to Medina. Many of them did, many of them were very excited to do so, but some of them remained and lagged behind in Mecca, refusing to leave their families. They didn't want to give up their wealth, their businesses, their property. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed something. Allah ta'ala sent them, sent the Prophet a message. Allah ta'ala says, إِنْ كَانَ آبَاءُكُمْ وَأَبَنَاءُكُمْ وَإِخْوَانُكُمْ وَأَزْوَاجُكُمْ وَعَشِيرَتُكُمْ وَأَمْوَالٌ اقْتَرَفْتُمُوهَا وَتِجَارَةٌ تَخْشَوْنَ كَسَادَهَا وَمَسَاكِنُ تَرْضَوْنَهَا أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ فَتَرَبَّصُوا حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ اللَّهُ بِأَمْرِهِ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الْفَاسِقِينَ Allah said, say, O Muhammad Sallallahu let them all know, inform them of this fact. If your fathers, your sons, your brothers, your wives, your relatives, your wealth which you have obtained, your commerce were in which you fear decline, and your dwellings with which you are pleased are more beloved to you than Allah and His Messenger and Jihad fighting and struggling in His cause, then wait until Allah executes His command. And Allah does not guide the defiantly disobedient people. Allah Ta'ala is issuing a threat letting the believers know that there has to be something in their hearts. That Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger and striving and struggling for His sake has to be number one. And Allah Ta'ala makes a list of eight. And it's interesting how many lists of eight specifically there are in the Qur'an, but that's a discussion for another time. But eight different points. What are they? Number one, your fathers, who are what? Your best teachers when you were growing up throughout your past. And then your sons, who are your investment into the future. And then in terms of your present, your brothers are your most loyal partners, and your wives are your most loving companions. This is in the present. And it's interesting, some scholars, they comment, why were the wives last in this list? Because it could be the case that she's the least likely to differ or oppose your religion. You know, with all other family members, you don't have a choice, but you usually choose your spouse, and therefore you choose someone who sees your perspective in terms of faith. And then it mentions your relatives, including everybody just mentioned, but including, in addition to that, every peripheral family member who you also cherish, whether they're cousins or aunts or uncles, etc. And then Allah Ta'ala, after those five, mentions a different topic, which is what? Wealth which you have obtained, specifically what you earned. Why? Because some kids are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, as they say. Some people are born with lots of money that they inherit. They never worked for it. But Allah specifies, no, I'm talking about the money that you have worked hard for. You hustled for it. You had to get your education. You had to put in the hours. You had to put in the time. That money, those savings that you have. And then, after that, number, that's number six. Number seven is what? The commerce wherein which you fear decline. This is not the money in your savings, but rather the potential money. You see, oh subhanAllah, there's a chance, there's an opportunity. And we all know that sometimes potential money is even more exciting than the money that you have. You see a business opportunity. You're figuring out how you can make this work. And that's even more exciting than what you have in your bank account. And then lastly, Allah Ta'ala mentions what? Your dwellings that you're pleased with. Not the house that you're trying to get out of. Not the house that's just a temporary spot that you want to eventually move to your real home, that your dream home that you're waiting for. No, Allah Ta'ala is talking about the house that you have invested in, that you are in love with. And interestingly enough, subhanAllah, the dwelling is the place where you keep all of your wealth, all of your possessions, and where you host all of your family. So subhanAllah, this last point seems to tie everything together beautifully. Another way of looking at it is that Allah Ta'ala is mentioning these eight 
Your father is the one that you respect the most. Your children are the ones that are the most precious to you. Your brothers are the most similar to you. Your wives are the most intimate with you. Your tribe is where you get your honor and your status. And Allah Ta'ala is telling you that the bond of Islam must supersede all of these family relationships. Because it's the bonds of faith that is the true brotherhood and sisterhood. And then Allah Ta'ala mentions wealth, both actual and potential. And it's as if Allah is telling you that you must know that the ajr that you have earned is more important than the wealth that you have earned. And that the potential opportunities for ajr are more important than your potential for the wealth that you could earn. And finally, your home in paradise is more important than your home in this dunya. Allah Ta'ala mentions three things that must be more beloved. That these eight things must be subservient to three different concepts, which are what? Number one, loving Allah. This is internal. This is your sincerity. This is proven through your feelings and your thoughts and your motivations. As the Prophet says, Actions are judged by your motives. And each man is going to get what he intends. This is something internal. What is your intention? Is it for the sake of Allah or not? And then love of his messenger, وَرَسُولِهِ this is proven externally through following his sunnah. Following the sunnah must supersede following the example of anybody else that you watch online, that you follow online, that you pay attention to what they say, remember it, share it, like it. All these different examples that you follow. No, I follow the Prophet ﷺ number one. And I have love for the Prophet ﷺ number one. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ tells us, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. None of you will have true faith until he loves me more than his father, his children, and all of mankind. And then fighting. Jihad fi sabilillah. This is referring to what? Fighting against the oppressive forces that wish to destroy the truth, that want to take out the believers. You have to have this sense of importance for your deen, so much so that you're willing to sacrifice. And whether it be physical, as in physical warfare, mentally, financially, in every way possible, you have to know that you have to struggle to defend this deen and to defend the believers. And this may require what? Leaving your families. Those were points one through five. This may require leaving your money, which was point number six. This may require losing business opportunities, which was point number seven. And this may require leaving the comfort of your home, which was point number eight. And that's why it is so critical that you place Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger and striving for their cause. Striving for the sake of Allah Ta'ala has to be number one. Islam was successful and Islam spread throughout the world because the Sahaba عنهم, were willing to put their faith above everything else. And nowadays, we find that there are many Muslims who have good intentions, but their approach is flawed. I've heard this countless times. I'm sure you've heard it as well. Please pay attention. How often have you heard the statement? You know what we need nowadays when we see all this bloodshed and all this violence and all this evil in the world. You know what we need? We need bigger numbers. We need more money. We need to develop our own successful businesses. We need to lobby politicians. We need to own our own media. That's what's going to give us victory. Have we heard this before? I know I've heard it countless times over the past couple of months. Muslims talking about we need more material, organization, wealth, affecting politicians, affecting commerce. I've heard Muslims talking about this endlessly. Now, let me be very clear. I am not attacking those people who have such an intention. In fact, I would say their intentions are extremely noble. I'm not saying that their in attitude is entirely wrong. Not at all. 
anybody saying this clearly wants to see the success of the Muslims. MashaAllah, that's a good thing. And your heart is in the right place. However, I'm simply informing you that it's not enough. Yes, we want to see strength in the Ummah from a material or dunyawi perspective with great numbers and wealth and flourishing businesses and all the material requirements, politicians and so forth, to defend ourselves, certainly. However, will that give us victory? Let's take a look at the very next ayah. I just quoted to you and talked about ayah number 24 of Surah Tawbah. Now let's take a look at ayah number 25. Allah says what? Very interesting. Allah has already given you victory in so many regions. The believers have gotten so many victories. And even on the day of Hunayn, let's pay attention to this. When your great numbers pleased you. What is ujub? Narcissism. When you look at yourself and think, I'm doing great. I am awesome. Look at my strong numbers. We cannot be defeated. We are so strong today. This is what happened on the day of Hunayn. But it didn't benefit you at all. It didn't help. All your big numbers and the weapons and the cavalry, and you're looking at yourselves thinking, we, we got this today. It didn't benefit you at all. And subhanAllah, this was the only time the believers felt this. Every other time, the believers were in a position where they were seen as the weaker group. And so that made them sharp. That made them very alert on their toes. But this time, they got comfortable. On the day of Hunayn, they're thinking, we have all the material wealth, we have all the numbers, we have every material means available to us. What happened? Allah says, it didn't benefit you. And the earth felt constricted. Despite its vastness. The earth is big, but you felt like there was nowhere to go. Then you turned and ran away. They ran on that day. In every other battle, the believers were weaker materially. This time they had all the strength, but it didn't benefit them. Why? Because Hunayn was the first time that the Muslims felt overconfidence. This is what happens when all the material means are at your disposal. Meanwhile, the leader of the opposition army was Malik ibn Auf, and he took many steps to ensure the victory of his battalion. He was boosting the morale, telling that his people, his fighters, the Muslims have fought a bunch of untrained people before this. That's the only reason they've been winning because they've been fighting untrained fighters. Us, we're really trained. So he's boosting their morale. He brought all of their family, their families and their wealth to make sure that behind them, they could see their wives, they could see their kids, they could see all of their uh, cattle. So they know what they're fighting for. He made sure that, he said, when you attack, make sure before you go, you break your scabbard. This was a symbolic gesture saying, there is no going back. Either we go all the way and win, or we die in the process. But we are never going to stop. So you break the scabbard to say, we're never going to sheathe our swords. He set them up in such a way where he was going to ambush them only when the believers entered into the valley of Hunayn and they were in a tight spot. That's when he said, you initiate the attack. You start raining arrows down upon them. And in their confusion, they're going to panic and they're going to feel this sense of stu being stuck with all the traffic, so many numbers, they won't be able to move and they will flee and run. And he also weakened the morale of the believers by making sure that all that, those family members that came, he said, line them up in such a way where they look like troops. All the wives and children, put them on the animals. Line them up so it looks like we have lots of reserve infantry. So when the believers look in the distance, they say, oh my goodness, look at the numbers, way bigger, thousands more. So Malik ibn Auf, the enemy of the believers, was very sharp on that day. And when the believers were ambushed, they did indeed run away until the Prophet began chanting, calling out to the different Ansar, to the different believers, different tribes, calling them back. He kept going forward. 
chanting, Ana Nabiyu la kadib, Ana ibn Abdul Muttalib. I am the Prophet, this is no lie. I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. He started chanting this, bringing back the morale. And Allah Ta'ala sent down the ayah. The very next verse, ayah number 26, in which Allah Ta'ala says, ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَنزَلَ جُنُودًا لَمْ تَرَوْهَا وَعَذَّبَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ Then Allah sent down His tranquility upon His Messenger and upon the believers. And sent down soldiers, as in angels, whom you did not see, and punished those who disbelieved. And that is the recompense for the disbelievers. Allah Ta'ala mentions what? Two things that he sent down upon them. Pay attention, pay close attention to the order of these things. Allah Ta'ala first mentions number one. I sent down upon them internal support. Sakina, tranquility. An acceptance of battle. An acceptance of the reality of war. Embracing our mortality. Affirming that our lives and all of our material acquisitions will soon depart from us. This is what required the victory. An acceptance, a calmness. Yes, we're going to battle. And yes, I may die. But guess what? We all die anyway. And once that sakina, that tranquility came upon them and they accepted how limited their lives were and how they had to give everything up, that was the internal quality that first had to exist. Because they remembered that when you are wrapped in the kefen, we all know the white cloth that we are wrapped in, we all notice that the kefen has no pockets. There's nothing you could keep with you. So that was the sakina that had to come upon the believers first. Then came the physical, or you could say the external support, which was what? The soldiers, the angels. Why? Secondly, because without the internal, the external support won't make a man out of you. It won't make a winner out of you. That is what is important to recognize. All of the material help, businesses, money, soldiers, numbers, even the angels, if you don't have this true Iman in your heart, then all of that is not going to make you who you need to be. It's not going to transform you into the believer you must be. And so, inshallah, we'll continue the second khutbah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ala Bismillah This masjid is so packed, we need everybody to slide forward. There's a lot of people at the back that cannot even sit down. Please fill in all the gaps. So, the question is, how is it that material strength can actually backfire? How is it the case that when you have great numbers and great wealth and great businesses and all this, how can it actually backfire? Well, there's a few ways. Number one, there's something called the diffusion of responsibility, term in psychology. The diffusion of responsibility implies what? As your numbers e increase, the personal responsibility that each of us feel decreases. Right? When you have huge numbers, you keep saying to yourself, we're so big in number, they're going to do the fighting. They're going to do the sacrificing. I can just sit back and watch because we're so big in number. So you diffuse your responsibility to somebody else. And then when it's actually time to fight, everyone's like, I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to do it. And that makes you actually weaker. Furthermore, just logically speaking, having more wealth means you have more to lose. Having more, a bigger family means what? That you have more people that you're attached to that you don't want to let go of. 
So when the believers are huge in number and so wealthy, they think nobody can beat us because look at all our wealth. Look at all of our numbers. You just have more to lose. Why? Because in your heart, that is above Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence why you see the ayah prior to it, ayah number 24, saying, no, none of these things can be above Allah ta'ala. None of these things can be, Allah, be, can be above his messenger, sallallahu or above fighting in his cause. All of these benefits that you have, whether it's numbers in terms of people or whether it be numbers in terms of wealth, all that is just going to become what? A greater attachment that you cling to of this dunya and you'll never want to let go. Yes, having a successful business means that you've already invested so much of your life into your work, meaning that you're less likely to risk it all and put it all on the line. Without Iman, your wealth makes you more attached, more protective of what you worked so hard for. Allah Ta'ala tells us, Allah Ta'ala tells us, Indeed, mankind is created anxious. When evil touches you, you become impatient. We all know this. When something bad happens to you, you wish it would go away. It's natural. But then Allah says what? When good touches him, is that when you relax? Is that when you're finally more generous, more giving, more comfortable? No. Allah says, and... When good touches you, you become manu'a, withholding. The more money you get, the more you want to cling to it. The more money you have, the more attached you become. Illa al-musallin. Except for the believers who pray regularly. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions many different qualities. Those who give in charity, those who fulfill their oaths, and so on and so forth. Allah Ta'ala gives a long list after that of the qualities of the believers. So I'm not attacking or trying to put down any of the many brothers who have said to me and to others, man, if only we had bigger numbers and we have more money and we are more organized in terms of politics and we have this and we have that. All these ideas are wonderful, but will it really do it? Or will it just make you more attached to your dunya? When a fundraiser happens, don't worry about the number, of the, the number that people give. Don't look to the actual number that somebody gives. Rather, think about the percentage of that person's wealth. The rich man may give several th thousand dollars, but it may represent only less than 1% of what he actually owns. Whereas another person, may only have, let's say, $10,000 in his account, but he gives 1,000, that's 10% of his wealth. That is the sacrifice that Allah Ta'ala is paying attention to. So don't just look at the number in terms of monetarily. You have to know how much of a sacrifice is it. This is what matters. And when Iman is strong, the one who has a lot and the one who has a little, both have the same fact in the forefront of their mind, which is what? I have to let go of everything soon enough, so I might as well let it go for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Brothers and sisters, if you don't remember anything today, I want to leave you with one very simple quote, a few quotes, but this one in particular. Money is an amplifier. Money is an amplifier. What does that mean? It means that when a loser gets rich, he doesn't become a winner. He's just a, a rich loser. That's it. It means that when the honorable, per, honorable man, the honorable person becomes rich, he becomes more honorable. If you would like the Arabic proverb, ziyadatu tashrif ta'ani ziyadatu taklif. Increase in honor, as an increase in wealth and status, means what? An increase in responsibility. When you have more tashrif, you have to have more what? Taklif. The more honor you get with wealth and status, now you have to have more responsibility. If we are enslaved to our desires, if we are weak in our iman, when our finances are less, then an increase in wealth and an increase in status and power will only intensify our addictions. Another very powerful quote says what? The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. 
The chains of habit, when you get addicted, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt. You don't notice those chains around you because they're so light. Until what happens? Until they're so strong that they cannot be broken. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. We need to ask ourselves a few simple questions. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of example are you setting for your kids? Are you showing him how to be a king or a slave? What do I mean? Imam Ghazali has a beautiful quote. He says, He says something very beautiful. He says, desires can make slaves out of kings and patience can make kings out of slaves. Your desires, doesn't matter if you're a king, it could turn you into a slave. Why? Because you're so weak to your desires. And it doesn't matter if you're a literal slave, somebody who has no wealth whatsoever. As long as you can control your desires, it can make you honorable, turn you into a king, subhanAllah. Are we teaching our children an example of bravery? Or are we too afraid to even speak the truth so we stay silent? There's another nice quote that I really appreciate. It says, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. You want to avoid criticism at school, at work, in your community with your neighbors? Then it's very simple. No criticism, that's what you want in life? No problem. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. It's a quote from Aristotle. Beautiful quote. Is this the type of example that we're setting for our youth? That we don't speak for the truth, we don't stand for anything. Yes, of course, our youth can learn the example of the Sahaba, but that generation has gone. Their example is only found in books. If we want to raise a generation of winners, we need to be a living example of success. We can't rely upon the stories of past generations. Allah Ta'ala warns us of this. Allah Ta'ala says, تِلْكَ أُمَّةٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَلَكُمْ مَا كَسَبَتُمْ وَلَا تُسْأَلُونَ عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ That was a nation which has passed on. It will have the consequences of what it has earned. And you will have the consequences of what you have earned. And you will not be asked about what they used to do. Just saying, oh, I love these past generations, that doesn't actually make you like them. They've earned what they've earned. They're going to get their reward or consequences, whatever it may be. You have to worry about yourself. There's a beautiful quote or a beautiful little poem that highlights this idea beautifully. No printed word nor spoken plea can teach young minds what they should be. Not all the books on all the shelves, but what the teachers are themselves. May Allah make us real teachers. May Allah Ta'ala make us of those who actually live in such a way where we are exemplary, not just pointing to the books on the shelves. Ya Allah, don't let us place anything above you in our hearts. Ya Allah, make us like the greatest generation, willing to sacrifice for your sake. Ya Allah, help us to realize that we must lose everything eventually, so it's better to give it willingly in your cause. Ya Allah, no matter how weak or strong we may become, teach us that victory is only through you. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma hdina fi man hadayt. Wa'afina fi man a'afayt. Wa tawallana fi man tawallayt. Wa barik lana fi ma a'atayt. Wa qina sharra ma qadayt. Fa innaka taqdi wa la yuqda alayk. Innahu la yadhillu man walayt. Wa la ya'izzu man a'adayt. Barakta rabbana wa ta'alayt. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina a'adhaab al-nar. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Sami kithira wa aqim al-salam. Thank you.